Let's bow our heads together. Father, tonight as we come to study this tribulation, please open our minds, open our eyes, speak to us through your Holy Spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If we were to look over in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. We have here a verse that says this. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifices and the oblations for the, uh, to cease and for the overspreading of the abominations he shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now right here is where many many theologians uh, get the idea of seven years of tribulation. Now how long would it be would he confirm the covenant for? One week. In prophecy, and we're going to look at some of those scriptures, in prophecy the Bible says a day equals a year. Are you with me? So they look at this and say one week, how many days in a week? Seven. So they say seven years. Are you with me? That's where they get the idea of the seven years of tribulation. Now when we look at tribulation, could we not also say this is God's judgment? Would that be okay to use that terminology? God talks about his judgment over in Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. And here we discover in Revelation 14, the Bible says this. There are three angels that are flying in the midst of heaven bringing final messages to the earth. And it says this. Verse 20, verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. So as a result, the Bible does talk about God's judgment. And one of the things I'm assuming you most of you know, the conflict is all over who will you worship? You understand that. If you look at Revelation 13, just back up a little bit, verse 4. They worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. This is Friday night. And it says they also worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And if we go down and look at verse 8. All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Now the question is, who's the dragon? We want the Bible to be able to explain itself. Amen? We need the Bible interpretation in everything that we're studying. Go back to Revelation 12, verse 9. Revelation 12 and verse 9. The Bible says, And the great dragon was cast out, 
that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out unto the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So here Revelation 13 tells us every person on the face of the earth whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life will worship who? Satan. But now we find the first of the last three messages that come from God for the whole world. He says there in Revelation 14, worship him who made heaven and the earth and the seas and the fountains of water. Who's that? The creator. Amen? After all, he deserves your worship. He's the one that created you. And so it comes down, who will you worship? That's what the whole thing's over. And so God is giving the first message, telling us his judgment has come, and to worship the right God. That's what it's coming down to. As we look at this, when we say fear God, does that mean be afraid of him? No, I can read you a text over in Revelation that says the fearful ain't going in anyway. So you're not getting scared into heaven. Hello? Okay, that ain't happening. Fear means, you know, many people say, well, this means, you know, give respect. This means do this, do that. The Bible says the fear of the Lord, he hates evil, arrogance, the forward mouth. He really doesn't like. So what it's talking about, us becoming more like God. You know, I don't know when you gave your life to Jesus, but I'm going to say this without even knowing you or talking to you. You're not the same today. Hello. Okay. And Jesus deserves that credit. You don't. But the whole point is, it, we become more like God. We begin to dislike the sin and begin to like the sinner. Now, there's a big difference. I don't know about the rest of you. I usually get that backward. I partic don't particularly like the sinner, but I can enjoy the sin. Amen? But, folks, we begin to change. Then it says, give glory to him. How do we give glory to him? Well, lots of people say, well, we sing songs, study the Bible, go to church. Yes. But the first thing you got to do before you do all that is accept Jesus as your personal Savior who is the glory of the Father. Amen. You want to give glory to God, accept what he's given you for salvation. That's the way you give glory to God. And why should you do this? Because my judgment, our, now the new King James says, has come. Now I learned enough in English. One is, you know, past tense. Hello? And the new king is kind of, Past tense. Why do different translations translate it differently? We're going to discover most of the modern translation uses the word have come. And we're going to see why tonight. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. We don't want to be able to be destroyed. And there's lots and lots of things. This judgment, the question that comes up with most of it is when. All right? Does the Bible leave us in the darkness about when God's judgment comes? Not at all. If we look, I'm going to tell you something. Back in the early 1800s, there became a real um, 
surgent of people studying the Bible, particularly two books of the Bible. I bet you can't guess what they were. Daniel and Revelation, that's right. And they came to this verse, Daniel chapter 9, and they read Daniel chapter 9, and it's part of the verse in Daniel 8, which says unto 2,300 days, and then would the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, we remember the Bible says it's not open to private interpretation. Amen? But back then, the most of the theologians of all of the churches considered this earth to be the sanctuary. Are you with me? And so if we could figure out when this 2,300-day prophecy ended, we would know when Jesus is coming. And so they studied and studied and studied and studied and came up with a false theory. What was it? Jesus was coming October the 22nd, 1844. By the way, did he show up? Why did they make a mistake? Because they accepted popular teaching rather than thus saith the Lord. Does that make sense? And so we need to follow what the Bible says and let the Bible interpret itself. We have currently people studying this very same prophecy in this very same verse. And what have they came up with? Another false theory. 200 years later, there will be a sudden disappearance and then seven years of tribulation. Wow. And remember, I didn't stutter. I said, that's a false theory. Amen? We're going to look at it and begin to make sense. Let's look at that scripture that we have. And he said unto me, for 2,300 days, and then would the sanctuary be cleansed. Daniel chapter 8, verse 14. Now, many, many, many people today are looking for a new sanctuary to be built over in Jerusalem. And they're putting a lot of stock on it and they're preaching a lot of stuff about it. Why? Jesus is coming to cleanse the sanctuary and usher in his 1,000 years of peace. Are you with me? How it fits together? But let's let the Bible interpret itself. When God says, under 2,300 days and then would the sanctuary be cleansed, what does the Bible tell us? Go over to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, and let's let the Bible explain this subject to us. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, Paul says this, Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. In other words, in the first Seven chapters, Paul's been talking about this subject, and now he says, let me sum it up for you, okay? We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the what? Heaven. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which who pitched? The Lord pitched and not man. Where is this tabernacle? In heaven. In heaven. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, verse 3, 
Wherefore it is of a necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto an example. They serve as what? And a shadow, is the shadow the real? Of heavenly things. Not earthly things, heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, thou make all things according to the pattern shown thee in the mount. In other words, God showed Moses a pattern. Now, girls, you know, if you're going to go make a, a blouse or something, you go down to the store and you buy a pattern, there has to be an original that the pattern was made from. Amen? I know, guys, that's a little complicated. If you were going to make a model airplane, there has to be a real one. It's a model of. Amen? Does that make sense? And so here God shows him the real one. He said, now I want you to make something similar to it. Did they? Yes. They made something similar to it. You know, there's something here I want to read because I just, I, I, a lot of times I intend to skip it to save time. You know, verse 12, I love this. I will be merciful unto their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Thank you, Jesus. You mean, Lord, you don't remember at Safeway when I took that? No. You don't remember the back of the 57 Chevy? No. I love God's got a bad memory when it comes to our sins if we've asked you to forgive it. I'm surprised how many people go to the foot of the cross, confess their sins, then pick them up and take them with them. Why? All that does give you a guilty conscience. There was a man back in the turn of the century that had a son that was very bright and he had saved his money because he felt he was going to be able to go to college and when the son graduated from high school, he was accepted at Yale. And the father was just so excited. So the boy went off, you know, to college, and he was gone for two years. Finally, a letter came and said, Dad, we're coming home for a Christmas vacation. I'm bringing a couple of friends. I hope that's okay. Well, of course, Dad and Mom were so excited to see him, they didn't care. So the day came for him to be able to go pick them up, and so he went to this train station and picked up the boys, and as they were going home, the boys were talking, and they just, you know, began to philosophize about this and philosophize, and of course, Dad didn't understand what they were talking about at all, so he just drove home. When they got in, Mom had dinner prepared, and I mean, the boys just ate and ate and ate and ate. It ain't nothing like going home and eating, is there, you know? As a result of that, after dinner, they went into the library. And the boys began to talk, and they began to talk about this and philosophize about that. So dad sat down in his easy chair, reached over the side, picked up his Bible, and just began to read. He had read for about 15 minutes, and all of a sudden, he said, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And his son looked at him and said, Dad, what's wrong with you? 
He said, well, son, I just read over here in Micah that it says God cast my sins into the depth of the sea, and I just had to praise him. His boy says, you know, Dad, that's your problem. Ever since I've known you, all you've ever done is read the Bible. He said, Dad, there's a whole world out there besides that Bible. You need to get educated. And he says, I'm sorry, son, I didn't mean to be able to, you know, embarrass you in front of your friends. And the boy walked over to the library and looked at the books for a little while. Pretty soon he pulled down the world atlas and walked over and says, here, Dad, read this. So Dad's head down and began to read. About 20 minutes went by and all of a sudden Dad jumped up and said, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And his boy says, Dad, he says, son, I'm sorry. But he said, I'm going to tell you something. This is amazing to me. You're right. I need to learn more. It said over in Micah that God cast my sins into the depths of the sea. And I just read here in the atlas, there's parts where they haven't found the bottom yet. Amen. (laughs) That's the way God relates to us, folks. Okay? Just accept the fact that he says, ask and I will cleanse you from all, please explain the word all, unrighteousness. Amen? You know, we need to take what the Bible says. Oh, let me get back on the subject. Okay. Chapter 9. We're still in Hebrews. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of the divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Are you catching the words Paul's are using here? How many are there he's talking about? Two different ones. One's a shadow or a pattern of the real one. Okay? For there was a tabernacle made, and the first wherein was the candlestick and the table of showbread, which is called the sanctuary. After the second veil of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden manna that had the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant. Over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, which we cannot now speak partially. You know, it, it amazes me. We miss it. Even people who read the Ten Commandments, right smack in the middle of the Ten Commandments, it says, those who love me. Many people miss that. Spoken and written by the finger of God. Hello. Okay. Inside of the ark was the Ten Commandments written on stone by God. Hello. But what was the covering called? The mercy seat. Isn't it nice to know mercy's always been above the law? Isn't that wonderful news? Mercy's always been above the law. And are we saved by the law? Absolutely not. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 6. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. In other words, on a daily basis, people would bring their lamb to the um, courtyard, confess all of their sins, all right? And the sins were transferred from the sinner to the lamb. Then the lamb was sacrificed, and twice a day 
the high priest would sacrifice a lamb and take the blood in and apply it in the first compartment of the sanctuary. Are you with me? All right. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year. How often? Not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. Now, this was known as the Day of Atonement. I like to break that apart because most words are made up of different words from Hebrew. At one men. At one with who? God. It was also referred to as the uh, uh, judgment. I got a sneaking suspicion it's this thing right here, but that's okay. If it stops, we're fine. Verse 8. The Holy Ghost was thus signifying, signifying, that the way into the holiest of all was not made yet manifested while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure of the true then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to conscience, which stood only in the meats and drinks and different washings and carnal ordinances imposed upon them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with the hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he has entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. I want you to keep your finger right here, okay? We're going to come right back. But I want you to turn over with me to Revelation chapter 1. John is on the Isle of Patmos. And of course, God gives him a vision, a revelation of Jesus Christ. And we look in Revelation chapter 1. And I want you to notice in verse 11. And if you've got a red letter edition, who's talking? Jesus, right. I am Alpha, Alpha, the A, and the Omega, Z, the first and the last. What thou seest, write it in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. And then he goes on to name the churches. And I, John, turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks was one like unto the Son of God, clothed in a garment down to his foot and girded about the paps with a golden girdle. Now where are the seven candles? First compartment or second compartment? In the first compartment. So at the beginning of the revelation of Jesus Christ, where does John see Jesus? In the heavenly sanctuary in the first compartment as our high priest. Are you with me? All right, just like Paul says over in Hebrews. Now, let's go back to Hebrews, okay? As we look here, I want you to go to verse 22. 9.22. Almost all things are by the law purged with blood, 
and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in heaven should be purified with these. What? Calves, lambs, goats. Are you with me? But the heavenly things themselves were the better sacrifice than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which were a figure of the true, but unto heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now, keep your finger right here. I'm going to come right back. But go over to Revelation chapter 11. As the vision is continued to show to John, in Revelation 11 verse 19, the scene changes. And he sees this. And in the temple of God was open in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the Ark of the Testament. Where was the Ark of the Covenant? First compartment or second? second? Now he sees into the second compartment God's throne room. Do you see the procession of what the Bible's talking about? Okay. So he moved from the first, which was a daily thing, twice a day, into the second. How often? Once a year on earth. So how often do you think Jesus went into this one? One time. When he comes out, guess what? It is done. And God the Father says, go get my people. Hello? <laughs> the hour of his judgment has come. Back to Hebrews. I want to finish this up. Verse 25. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once, in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment... So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. To do what? Bear the sins of many. And unto him that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So in this great prophecy, it tells us that there's coming a judgment day. But if we have asked Jesus to represent us, guess what? You don't even got to show up. Hello? Are you guilty? No. Why aren't you guilty? Because Jesus paid the penalty. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, I'm going to present you faultless. Hello? He's going to do what? Present us faultless as if we've never sinned in our entire life. Isn't that wonderful? We don't have to fear judgment as long as we've asked Jesus to represent us. The ones that's got to fear tribulation is the ones who haven't asked Jesus. Are you with me? <laughs> Do you understand the whole system pointed to who? Jesus. That's what the whole sanctuary system was about, to point us to Jesus Christ. What amazes me, the Jews missed it. That's what amazes me, okay? I want to go back to Daniel. Let's turn there. Daniel chapter 8. And I want to take a closer look even at this prophecy 
that Daniel is given. In 8.14, Daniel 8, verse 14, And he said unto me, Under 2,300 days, and then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And it came to pass, then when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meeting, meaning, then behold, there stood before me as a man, as an appearance of a man. And his name, of course, in verse 16 was Gabriel. Wow. And so here Gabriel came and showed him this vision. But let's look at verse 27. And I, Daniel, fainted. And was six certain days, and after I rose up and did the king's business, I was astonished at the vision, but I none understood it. Here the angel that showed it to him, but he didn't understand it at all. What do you think Daniel started doing? Praying, amen? If you look at chapter 9, verse 19, look what it says. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, my, O my people, O my God, and for thy city and thy people that are called by thy name. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sins and the sins of my people Israel, presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly and touch me about the time of the evening oblation. That's about the time that the high priest went in for the second time in the day. He informed with me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved, Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Now, what's the vision? Under 2,300 days, and then would the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, here's Gabriel come directly from the throne to explain to Daniel. Now, I want to give you just two verses tonight. In Ezekiel chapter 4, it says, I have appointed thee each day for a year. In each day for a year, in Numbers 14, 34, there are many other scriptures that back up in prophecy a day equals a year. Are you with me? And so as we're looking at this, 2,300 days would actually be what? 2,300 years. Now, who's talking? The angel. Who sent him? Do you think it's time to pay attention? Don't add. Don't subtract. Take what God says. Amen? And we've got lots of people adding and subtracting right here, folks. But here's what it says. Seventy weeks, verse 24, are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now, did you notice the disclaimer? I spent 30 years in the insurance business, and this is a disclaimer. Now, what do I mean by disclaimer? If you go back up in verse 19... Daniel's praying and he said, thy city and thy people. Are you with me? Now down here the angel's talking and he says, whoa, wait a minute. 
they're your people and it's your city. Hmm. Then he goes on. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So as we looked at this, 70 weeks were determined specifically for who? Daniel's people was the Jewish people. Are you with me? And so 70 weeks, how many days in a week? Seven. So seven times 70 is 490 years. So the first 490 years of this 2,300 years is specifically for the Jews. Now what has to happen during this 490 years? Well, the angel said, number one, it's got to make a complete reconciliation for sin. In other words, the price has to be completely paid. Number two, it will bring in how long righteousness? Everlasting righteousness. And also to anoint the most holy. Isn't that amazing? So as a result, during this 490 years, those three things have to happen. Look at the next verse. Where do we begin? In the next verse it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seventy weeks, threescore and two weeks, and the street shall be built again and the walls even in troublous time. And after threescore and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off but not for himself. And the people of the prince, by the way, if you look that up in your concordance, those of you who got one last night, it's talking about the prince of this world. Who's that? Satan. The people of the prince shall come and destroy the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be a flood unto the ends of war and desolation are determined. And in the midst of this last week, he will cause the sacrifices and the oblations to cease. Now as we look at this, if we look at the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, Ezra and Nehemiah worked in the king's house. Y'all remember that? And of course it was against the law to be sad. And so here he was sad. And the king says, why are you sad? He said, how can I be happy when my God's house is laying in ruins? He said, I wish we could obey the command. Now, I don't know if you remember right, but with the Medes and the Persians, when it was commanded and signed, it couldn't be changed. You remember Daniel and Lion then? Did Darius really want to throw Daniel in? No. But what had happened? It was written and the king signed it and he had no choice. And so Artaxerxes ordered a search and guess what he found? Cyrus, the first king had said any of the Jewish people wanted to go home to Jerusalem could go and rebuild their city. They didn't go because they were so comfortable. They just enjoyed where they were. <laughs> but here Ezra talks about it, and so Ezra goes. When was this? In the year 457 B.C. 
457 B.C. So the beginning would be 457 B.C., according to the Bible, right? Now, some people say, and you can read it, you can listen to them, this began in 1948 when the Jews went home. Oh, now I just want you to think a minute. We're all bright people. If this is true, then I'm a liar and what the Bible's been saying is not true. Why? Because we have 490 years from 1948 before Jesus could possibly come. Amen? And then there's the balance of 2,300 years or 1,810 years has got to go by. You think any of you are going to live to see this? Huh? Now some people say, no, 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 wait a minute. This is when we had the six-day war and, and, and Israel became a nation again. Some even say, wait a minute, it was 1981 when uh, you know, Jerusalem became the capital again. I make the same statement to you. What are you all doing here? If they're right, then I and the Bible are a liar. Hello? You understand the date has to be correct. Everything has to happen. Three different things has to happen during that period. If they don't happen, then it can't be right. Would you agree with that? And so the Bible says, let the Bible interpret itself. So the Bible tells us from the time of the decree to go forth and rebuild would be the start. So it has to start in 457. Now if I'm right tonight and the Bible's right, everything will fit. Amen? As we look at this, this is important. He said, first of all, it would be 69 prophetic weeks or 483 years unto Messiah the Prince. As we look at this, unto Messiah the Prince, what happened 483 years later? John the Baptist was baptizing, and he looked up and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And Jesus came and said, Listen, you need to baptize me. John says, What? You ought to baptize me. I don't need to baptize you. And Jesus said something. Very important. Little things mean a lot. We must do this to fulfill. To do what? Fulfill all right doing. That's what he said. Jesus understood this. I want to back up just a second. I, I slipped by that one and I want to back up. From 457 takes us to AD 27. Would you agree with that? All right, what happened in A.D. 27? This is when Jesus came to be able to be baptized. We find that the Bible tells us, all right, come on. I love this when it uh, freezes up on me. There we go. Tiberius Caesar became Caesar in the year of A.D. 12. In Luke 3... One, it says 15 years later, if we add 15 on to 12, what do we get? AD 27. And it says that it would be this until Messiah the Prince, and the Prince has to be anointed. Amen? If you look at this, Messiah in Hebrew is anointed one, 
And Christ in Greek equals anointed one, same one. Are you with me? And so as a result, he was anointed. A matter of fact, the father told him that this is my beloved son in whom I am what? Well pleased. Now we've got 483 years have gone by. How much is yet to go? Of the 490. Seven. Amen? And the Bible says in the midst of the week, the Messiah would cause the sacrifices and the oblations to cease. He would be cut off, but not for himself. As we look at this, what happened three and a half years after his baptism? He went to the cross. Amen? In the midst of the week, he would be cut off. And he would cause sacrifice and oblations to cease. I don't know about the rest of y'all. I'm glad God did away with this one. If we didn't, you realize four times a year we'd all have to go to Jerusalem. We'd all have to bring a little lamb, confess all of our sins. We would have to take a knife and cut the little lamb's throat. Hello? Ah, am I glad God did away with that? Amen? Why? Jesus is the lamb. He died for us. He don't have to do it again. When he died, the veil in the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. That's the curtain that divided the holy from the most holy. Nobody was supposed to see this but the high priest. But it was torn from the top to bottom. And by the way, that curtain was about that thick. It had to be supernatural. Amen? In 2 Corinthians 3.14, it says this, because the veil is taken away in Christ. John says there in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, come boldly before the throne of grace. You don't need a priest anymore because where's Jesus? He's in heaven and he's your priest. Come to him. Does that make sense? I'm making the scriptures clear for you tonight. I want you to understand this. He shall bring an end to the sacrifices and the oblations, the evening and morning. We find this. Jesus shall confirm the covenant with many, Daniel 9, 27, right? Now, I want you to know something. In Greek, there are two words that come from the same word. Sometimes translators translated it covenant, and sometimes they translated it testament. But it comes from the identical Greek word. Are you with me? Now, I want you to listen to Jesus' own words. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for what? Even his very words on the cross fulfilled exactly what prophecy said. Wow. According to the prophecies of Daniel, God's covenant with the Jews would end in A.D. 34. We still got three and a half years to go, right? Isn't that right? I want to show you something. Old Israel. Jacob's name was called and turned to Israel. He had 12 sons, the sons of Israel, and they became a nation. What? The nation of Israel. Are you with me? I want you, we're in Daniel. The very next book is Hosea. And I want you to look at Hosea chapter 11. 
The Bible says this. Hosea chapter 11. Very next chapter in the Bible. Hosea 11. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And many people say, well, yeah, uh, Jacob was called out of Israel. No, he wasn't. Jacob died in Egypt, folks. Hello. His son Joseph even took him back and buried him where his father Isaac was. Then they went back and they lived for almost 400 and some years. Are you with me? So it can't be talking about Jacob. All right? Well, who is it talking about? Go over to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Reading in verse 13. The Bible always explains itself. Matthew 2, verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Now, if you've got a reference Bible, what prophet was he quoted? Hosea chapter 11. Are you with me? I want to show you new Israel. That's Jesus. Are you with me? <laughs> Jesus had how many apostles? That's an accident. And Jesus, of course, began what is known as the Christian church. Are you with me? See, some of these people that are giving you interpretations today, does God love the Israelite people? Yes. Can Israelite people be saved? Yes. How? The same way we are. They've got to accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as their personal Savior. And nothing would give God greater happiness than to have his children accept Jesus Christ. Did they? Jesus said, Matthew chapter 10, Verse 5 and 6, Go not unto the way of the Gentile, but go rather unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But later in his ministry in Matthew 21, 43, he said, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you, speaking to the leaders of the Jewish people, and shall be given unto a nation that shall bring forth fruits thereof. As we look at it, A.D. 34. What happened in A.D. 34? Stephen was stoned. Young man standing there carrying the coats. Anybody know what his name was? Saul. And on the road to Damascus, he met the Lord and became Paul. And he took the gospel to the Gentile. A.D. 34, folks. I just want you to know that. What does Paul say? Romans 2, 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly or physically, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. You must be born again. He also says, Know therefore that only those who are of the faith we are saved by grace through 
faith. Only those that are of the faith are the sons of Abraham. If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Want to see an Israelite tonight? If you know your friend sitting next to you has accepted Jesus, smile and say hello. Because you are one. Now, you know, John Hagee, and I like a lot of things John Hagee does, he calls this replacement theology, and I agree with him. You remember reading over in John where it talked about that God came in and pruned off the old branches and then they were grafted in? And then he said, now listen, don't get proud of this. If he cut off the original and grafted you in, he can cut you off too. Hello? It is replacement theology. But God's going to have a people... And his chosen people are Israel. And we have been born again into the family. We are heirs according to the promise. Wow. Well, we find this one week that the people want to take this week out and move it all the way down to the end of the world. And when they move it down, they want to say that there's Seven years of tribulation. This, I tell you tonight, is a false theory. Now, how can I say that? Well, first of all, because it doesn't agree with the Bible. Nothing says you can take something out and move it around. Amen? But I want you to help me tonight. I want you to raise your hand. Now, don't raise your hand if you don't agree. Okay? How many of you believe with all your heart Jesus is the Son of God. Let me see your hands. How many of you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin? How many of you believe with all of your heart Jesus Christ rose Easter Sunday morning? First day of the week, that's Sunday. Hello. Okay. <laughs> Now, you raised your hand. I didn't force you. Amen? I want to show you why this is a false theory. If you believe Jesus was nailed to the cross, you believe that he died for you, and that he rose Sunday morning, it is impossible for you to accept this false theory. Why? Because, folks, this week hasn't even happened yet. Remember, it's been taken out and moved down to the end of the world. Now, if this week hasn't happened, then the Jews are right. Jesus was not the Messiah. Jesus was not the anointed. Jesus is not alive. He's dead. The Jews are God's chosen people. The Messiah is yet to come. And you are lost in your sins until he does come. How long have they been perpetrating this lie? Since he rose Sunday morning. Amen bribed the guards to be able to say it really didn't do that. They came and took him away, right? Now, listen. One or the other has to be right. Would you agree? And if we move this week out, it hasn't happened. This makes the Jews right. But you all raised your hands. <laughs> I happen to agree with you. My people are destroyed for a lack of what? Knowledge. Folks, we need to understand what we're going to be learning night by night from the Bible is very, very important for you. Work out your own salvation. 
okay? I asked a guy one day, what do you believe? He said, the same thing my church believes. I said, wow, that's nice. I said, what does your church believe? He said, well, the same thing I believe. I said, well, that's nice. What is it you and your church believe? He said, well, the same thing. You really think that's a good explanation? <laughs> Let's let the Bible interpret itself, and that way we come up with no false theories. This has actually happened. And if we add the balance of the 2,300 years onto A.D. 34, guess what we come up with? 1844. They had the date right, but what happened in 1844? Jesus moved from the first compartment to the second compartment, and the hour of his judgment had come. What name do you think was the first name that came up in judgment? Adam, what gave you first clue? <laughs> when all of those that have died name comes up and it moves to those of us who are living, it's going to go very swift. you understand that? Because there are people dying and being born daily. But we're living right at the very end of time. The Bible says Satan is the accuser. But Jesus presents us what? Faultless. Is there tribulation? Yes. Does the Bible say it'll be seven years? No. But why should we fear tribulation? Hello? How many of you think God's gotten weak? No? I mean, four guys go into the furnace. Clothes don't even smell like smoke. You think he's gotten weak, right? You know? <laughs> I can tell you story after story after story in the Bible. God hasn't changed. I can tell you miraculous stories that have happened even within our lifetime. God has delivered people, folks. And, and you know, so what? You know, if, if I go to sleep, and that's what the Bible calls death, by the way, if I go to sleep, don't feel sorry for me. You want to feel sorry for somebody, feel sorry for yourself. You're the one still here putting up what Satan's dishing out. Amen? What's the next thing I'll know? <laughs> Jesus says, come on, Jack, get up. It's time to go home. Amen? How many of you want Jesus to represent you in the courts above? Let's stand together as we pray. Father, here we are tonight. We've studied a subject that we just begin to scratch the surface. But it certainly shows us what is true and what is false. I feel so sorry for those Jewish people that have been not only telling this lie since your day, but have continued to tell it. I pray for their salvation. I pray somehow, through your Holy Spirit, they too will be reached with the truth and accept Jesus for who he really is. Thank you for hearing and answering my prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.